Hello, humans. Hello, humans. It's me, Ellie Krug. Ellie Tuborno Radio. Thrilled to be back. Oh, my gosh. A two-week hiatus. Did you miss me? Well, I certainly missed you. I did. I did. As you know, uh, I'm an idealist, and this show is about idealism and idealist humans working to make the world better. And we'll have... um, a couple of those idealists for the big interview. Uh, you're going to hear from Emma McClatchy and uh, the editor of the Little Village magazine in Iowa City and Paul Brennan, their news director. Both will talk about the radical transformation of Iowa that went from a place of compassion um, and groundbreaking civil rights to a bastion of intolerance. And you're, you will – there is a very, very interesting take uh, that Paul Brennan uh, gave about why – uh, the state has become so intolerant to so many. Uh, okay, and of course, in the C block, I'm going to talk about my work as an idealist. But let us begin. <laughs> I'm sorry, we've got to talk about trans people again. It's incredibly important, though. Um, let us begin with the state of America as it relates to transgender and non-binary humans and then the idealists who are pushing back. To begin, I was in Des Moines on Wednesday. Uh, to speak to a couple hundred lawyers about transgender people and diversity, equity, and inclusion in general. I was asked, at what point should transgender Iowans and families with trans kids leave the state because of what was happening, because of all the legalized oppression occurring? I answered that there are two things that should factor in. How bad it is right now, okay, as it relates to trans people and what the state is doing, And then the second question to ask oneself is how much worse will it become? And then, as if on cue, (laughs) as if on cue, the next day, on Thursday, the day after I was in Des Moines, in what may be a modern first of its kind, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to strip away a basic right from a minority. Just peel it away. Make it illegal. I'm speaking of how uh, the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, passed the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, which would amend Title IX to bar schools that receive federal funding, bar them from allowing trans girls and women from elementary school age all the way through senior college year, bar those trans Females from participating in sports of any kind across the United States. The bill passed on a strict party line vote of 219-203. Of course, the bill will go nowhere in the Senate. And even if it did, President Joe will uh, has said he'd already he'd uh, veto the bill. And there's no way it's going to get would ever get overridden. But I've got to tell you, passing that bill. Hearing about that bill being passed on the day after I was in Des Moines sent a chill through my body. This was a clear message that if 2024 goes poorly, you know what poorly means, right? 2025 will be a year that America will not only enshrine sports discrimination against transgender people, I'm positive that it will, that 2025 will also be the year that national laws will be passed prohibiting transgender people from receiving gender-affirming care across the country, even therapy, and it could even be the year that the government makes it illegal for anyone to identify inconsistently with the gender they were assigned at birth. Now, I know that sounds Orwellian. It sounds 
beyond the pale of, are you kidding? Everyone, I think all of that is possible if 2024 goes badly. And I simply shudder to think about that. But let me come back to April 2023, okay, and highlight several idealists who are pushing back against efforts to discriminate against transgender people. For example, did you know that last fall, Montana voters, Montana, (laughs) that Montana in our country, Montana voters elected not one, but two gender variant people to the Montana legislature. Those representatives are Zoe Zephyr, a transgender woman, and S.J. Howell, who identifies as non-binary. Remember, non-binary folks who identify neither as male or female, they just simply identify as human. I think it's a wonderful concept. Both legislators represent districts of Missoula uh, in the Montana House of Representatives. I tell you this because this past week, the Montana House debated Senate Bill 99, Senate Bill 99 actually passed, but the governor sent it back because he wanted some changes. So they debated some amendments to Senate Bill 99, which Senate Bill 99 bans gender-affirming health care for minors in Montana. So it's still a bill. It hasn't been signed yet. As the bill was being debated, uh, that uh, transgender woman legislator, uh, Montana legislator, Zoe Zephyr, said this, quote, if you vote on this bill – And yes, on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands, unquote. Whoa, pretty bold, pretty, pretty bold. You go, girl. And in Montana, in turn, the Montana Freedom Caucus issued a statement calling for Zephyr to be censured. Okay, I'm surprised they didn't call for her to be expelled. In doing so, the Freedom Caucus only also deliberate. So they issued a press release, then they did social media. And in both of those, they deliberately misgendered Zephyr by referring to her using male pronouns. So how do you like that? <clears throat> the very conservative Republicans in Montana say, hey, you made, you made us feel uncomfortable. You, you, what you said was, oh, my goodness, that was, that was out of bounds. Incredibly, and we want you to be censured, and we're going to call you a man and not a woman, just to make make the point. Okay, I mean, jeez, you know. Um, two days later, okay, Montana's House Speaker refused to allow Zephyr to again speak on the Montana House floor about any bill, any piece of legislation, until Zephyr first apologizes for her quote, blood on their hands, comment. I mean, so we're back to kindergarten. I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk to you and you're not, and I'm not going to let you talk until you say you're sorry for saying something that actually was truthful. Sorry. Okay. Zephyr has said that she will not apologize. We'll see what happens. And this, of course, is reminiscent of what happened in Tennessee just two weeks ago with the expulsion of two black legislators for protesting about gun violence. So in other words, if you are not one of us, if you are not one of us, one of us of the conservative majority or whatever it is at this point, sometimes it's a conservative minority, but they have all the power. If you're not one of us, uh, we're going to do everything we can to shut you up. 
And speaking about trying to shut somebody up, you may also recall another idealist. Several weeks ago, I highlighted Michaela Kavanaugh, a Nebraska first-term Nebraska legislator who has been filibustering since February February 23rd to prevent passage of Nebraska's own bill to ban gender-affirming care, health care for children, transgender children. Kavanaugh has said that her stand is to prevent efforts that seek to, quote, eradicate the existence of transgender people, unquote, in Nebraska. Her efforts have held up. Now, get this. This is one woman, young woman. She's in her 30s. Uh, one woman. Her efforts have held up 200 <clears throat> bills in the legislature, Nebraska legislature. Only one, only one bill about liquor taxation. Only one bill has passed this legislative season. Normally, they pass 200, 250 bills. This one woman, by filibustering, has stopped the entire process. And can you imagine the pressure that she is under? The utter bravery of Michaela Kavanaugh is a sight to behold. Think about that. Now, finally, I don't know if he's an idealist or not, but I want to highlight how a Navy admiral pushed back against a transphobic United States senator. On April 18th, not that long ago, a few days ago, the Senate Armed Services Committee was exploring how wokeism in the military, you know that, you've heard this, how wokeism is affecting our troop readiness. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, you know, the former football coach, which, of course, automatically qualifies him to be an excellent senator. Uh, and, and I'm sure for, we have sports figures in politics, and, of course, they do great jobs, okay? But Senator Tommy Tuberville questioned Admiral Mike Gilday, chief of naval operations, about about a letter that a service member read on a warship, a non-binary service member read on a warship, talking about her identity and talking about how she's thankful for being in the service. Now listen to this clip about how Admiral Gilday was having none of it, having none of what Tommy Tuberville's, his transphobic rhetoric, he was having none of it. So here's the clip, and I'll be back to you after the clip's over. Any of us watch the video that has gone viral online of a young Navy Lieutenant J.G. I have a lot of problems with this video. This non-binary officer said the highlight of a deployment on the USS Gerald Ford was reading a poem to the entire ship. Admiral Gilday, have you seen this video? I have. I hope we train our officers to prioritize their sailors, not themselves. Did it surprise you that a junior officer says the highlight of her deployment, her first and the ship's first, was about herself and her own achievement? I'll tell you why um, I'm particularly proud of this sailor. So her grandfather um, served during World War II, and he was gay, and he was ostracized in the very institution that she not only joined and is proud to be a part of, but she volunteered to deploy on Ford, and she'll likely deploy again next month when Ford goes back to sea. Sir, um, 
we ask people from all over the country, from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds to join us. And then it's the job of a commanding officer to build a cohesive warfighting team that is going to follow the law. And the law requires that we be able to conduct prompt, sustained operations at sea. And so we have to, our, that level of trust that a commanding officer develops across that unit has to be grounded on dignity and respect. And so if that officer can lawfully join the United States Navy, is willing to serve and willing to take the same oath that you and I took to, to put their life on the line, then I'm proud to serve aside them. Dignity and respect. Sure been lacking this legislative season. Now remember, not all heroes wear capes. Sometimes they wear silver stars on their shoulders. My community needs many, many hundreds of thousands, millions of those heroes badly. Okay, that's the end of the first, the A block. All right, Um, when we come back, we're going to do the big interview. You are going to love the big interview um, with these folks from uh, Little Village uh, Magazine out of Iowa City. Um, And so um, we're going to take a break. Uh, If you like what you hear, uh, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter, although I don't know how long I'm going to stay on it. That's at at Ellie Krug on Twitter. And uh, email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I love hearing from listeners, okay? We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Kelly 2.0 Radio. Okay, I promised you uh, a fantastic big interview, and here we are. I've got two wonderful guests from uh, Iowa City, Iowa, United States. I've got on the line here with me Emma McClatchy, who is the editor of uh, For Little Village. She grew up in Iowa City and has a degree from the University of Iowa School of Journalism. And joining her is Paul Brennan, the news director for Little Village, he has three decades of writing, and, of writing and reporting for alternative weekly newspapers. And by the way, just so you know, I keep using the phrase Little Village. It is a free monthly news and culture magazine headquartered in Iowa City, Iowa. Now, and let me just tell you, it rocks. It really rocks. Um, it is a member of the Association of Alternative News Media. Little Village has been publishing in eastern Iowa since 2001 and recently added a central Iowa edition and an office in Des Moines. It's got a website, littlevillagemag, M-A-G, period, dot com. Uh, and you can go there and you can read about it. And by the way, you can sign up and donate for them. Emma and Paul, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I am thrilled, absolutely thrilled to have you here. 
Thanks so much for having us on. Uh, we recognized your name right away when you reached out. Um, you're somewhat legendary here in Iowa, at least to us. So oh, geez. So <laughs> All right. Now, I was not looking for that, but you did. You just made my day and my head like 10 times big. Okay. So let's – I've had you on because what triggered me reaching out was a story – uh, Emma, I think you wrote the piece uh, about mm-hmm. Matt Walsh, uh, a trend, a major transphobic uh, blogger and uh, social media presence uh, who spoke at the University of Iowa. And I asked you to come on and talk about him, and I'm, we will get to him. But I want to I want to kick this off, okay? Because you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in Iowa particularly in Iowa City, but but also the rest of the state. And I want to kick this off with this question. What the hell has happened to Iowa? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's one we wake up with every morning here. But uh, I, I, we've seen certain... Uh, tendencies that have long existed in Iowa, that is uh, the favoring of incumbency over challengers uh, to an almost supernatural degree here in Iowa. You've had Terry Branstead, who between his two periods as governor, uh, was the longest serving governor in American history. It was just defeated was Tom Miller, a Democrat. Branstead was a Republican uh, who was the longest serving attorney, state attorney general in American history. Mike Fitzgerald, the longest serving state treasurer in American history. You have those tendencies, these people to stay in office for a long time, and you had major Democratic resignations, Tom Harkin and people like that, which dealt a blow to the party back uh, around 2014 or so. Uh, the party hasn't really recovered. The, uh, the so, Democratic Party, yes. Right. The Democratic <clears throat> Party has not really recovered in Iowa. Uh, you've seen a continuing ho- uh, demographic shift in that a continuing hollowing out of rural Iowa, leaving pretty much just older residents. Uh, you're seeing within the state a movement to suburban areas, uh, even the collapse of, say, what's called the micropolitan areas of small cities because manufacturing has left them hmm. as part of a national trend of offshoring. Uh, there's a Maytag plant, things like right. that. Yep, yep. Uh, and so those collapse. And I was one of those states where, and this is why Iowa has a very low unemployment rate, if you can't find a job here, you leave. And so we've had a lot of outflow. Uh, we just had a new uh, uh, Census Bureau data uh, published within the last week showing that Iowa lost Iowa residents. It's just made up by, uh, has been made up by the, the an inflow of immigrants to the United States who have come to Iowa. So you have that balancing going on. And as you've had the, hollowing out of rural Iowa, which is exacerbated by state policies, you're left with a more conservative element there. So Hmm. you have, which the Democratic Party has not been able to appeal to. And so basically you have Democrats in in urban areas, but there aren't many of those in Iowa. Right. Uh, So uh, you have sort of an unchallenged uh, uh, Republican sweep through the rural part of Iowa. Well, and, and uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and there's no sort of supplemental 
progressive organization to uh, the organized, to the extent it's organized, Democratic Party in Iowa, because we don't have a strong union movement here. Uh, our Minnesota, for example, has a union participation rate of 14.2%, which doesn't sound tremendous if you're not acquainted with the numbers, but that puts you like number 10 in the nation. Iowa is 7%. Half, so. yeah. Well, you know, and when I when I ask what the hell has happened, I mean, you know, I grew up in Iowa um, and growing up in the 60s and 70s and 80s there, um, you know, Iowa prided itself on being a decent place to live on on its educate. Remember, do you remember when its education uh, system was? Always competing for number one with either Wisconsin or Minnesota, but we were like we took great pride in the fact that like we were like that high up, right? And we were decent people. I mean, we brought in we Bob Ray. God love Bob Ray, a Republican, right? But Bob Ray, we're opening our doors, you know, after the Vietnam War to the you know Laotians and and uh, the Vietnamese uh, uh, refugees. You know, we're, we're opening, you know, our state to, to people who are in trouble. And, and, and what, what's, what's transpired since then, okay, of course, is you've got a legislature. I mean, that, that is, that is just on the legislative floor, lambasting the education system in Iowa. Lambasting, I mean, literally marginalizing educators in mass, uh, on the on the floor, of course, they passed the bill allowing, you know, promoting uh, school vouchers, which is going to devastate some rural school districts. I mean, school some rural school districts aren't going to exist after that. They're passing, you know, the open carry. You got, I mean, you don't even have to get a, a safety course to to carry a gun in Iowa now. They've passed all kinds of anti-trans legislation, and 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 yes, did I hear it right? Yesterday they introduced a bill. To ban, you know, same-sex marriage. <laughs> well, uh, th- th- that was a uh, about a month ago. Oh, about a month it, ago. Okay. Yeah, and, and and it would amend the Iowa Constitution to do that, provided, but it would only go into effect if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Oberfeld. Okay, so it's the abortion methodology for. Yeah, it, it was odd marriage. that when that uh, entered its subcommittee, uh, there was. That seemed to immediately be a step too far for a lot of conservatives. A lot of Republicans in the state spoke out against that, and it didn't it didn't advance. Uh, so it's easy to see it as a tiny, tiny silver lining, but I think it's just indicative of a party in the state that is seeing how far it can go in the direction right. of a Florida, a DeSantis, or a, or a, a Texas uh, Abbott, Governor Abbott situation. Um, and I think it's clear, if, if you guys might have been watching the... Um, like uh, State of the Union speech last year, our governor did the follow-up to the speech, um, was selected to be the Republican response uh, to discuss her uh, work on the COVID pandemic here, um, her her uh, determination not to shut down the state and to keep the schools open and the grand success of that program. Um, obviously, when you lived here, it felt very different. It was very surreal to watch a governor talk about a situation in the state that doesn't match a lot of Iowans' experiences and uh, the devastation they saw in their communities right. based on closures and uh, or lack of, you know, 
ability to crack down and track community spread of COVID in the state. Um, and that success seems to have catapulted our governor, uh, Kim Reynolds, into a national spotlight um, where she's courting Donald Trump uh, and Ron DeSantis um, and trying to make a statement on the national stage, regardless of the uh, results of polls and the opinion of uh, constituents. Um, she and uh, school choice, which Paul can speak out on in more detail, was an interesting case of uh, the public telling Reynolds along the way, no, we don't want this. They're never being a positive show of approval for this plan. And there still isn't. Um, but now it's the law of the land. And now um, there are reports, private schools, um, just yesterday, private schools in Iowa uh, are raising their tuitions. Um, so these vouchers that are supposed to make school more affordable and accessible, private school in Iowa are now making private, are, are now just helping private schools profit more, which was, which was, I think ultimately the goal is just to divert money from public schools. So in that way, it's achieved its goal, but I don't know what Iowans are really expected to do in light of this. And um, it, the devastation of these bills, and we haven't even mentioned the transphobic bills will be, is already having um, a psychological and just been very real impact on Iowans. Well, you know, I will tell you, so I was in Des Moines on uh, Wednesday to speak to lawyers at the Iowa State Bar Association. And I actually gave a talk, uh, Transgender 101 for Lawyers. We had 130 people online and then probably another 40 or 50 in the room. And I got a question um, at the end, which was, Ellie, what, you know, what advice do you have for the parents of transgender children and for lesbian, gay and bisexual people in Iowa in light of what's happening. And I said, well, I think that you've got to ask two questions. One is, how bad is it now? And then how bad will it get? Um, and, 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 and underlying my response was this amazement, amazement, because Paul, you just, you just talked about the demographics, right? People are leaving the state. The amazement that they that the Republican leaders um, in Iowa either don't understand or don't care that what they're doing is exacerbating the brain drain out of the state. You've got people that young people who are like, I mean, we know that our young people having a diverse workforce, having an accepting workforce, having, you know, all kinds of people where you get to work is important to our young people. You, I mean, you know, you're in Iowa City, you know that. And then the state is like, no, we want it to be essentially white and Christian and uh, God-fearing and straight. Um, and, and, and so people aren't college students that don't want to come back to Iowa because – that what what's there for them and young people are leaving. Do our, do the Republican leaders understand this? I'm, it's hard to know what they think personally, but there's definitely been ways to distract um, from the clear effects of bills like privatizing Medicare in the state, like uh, the uh, bill passed to uh, prevent, uh, to make it harder to sue or cap um 
earnings from medical malpractice suits. Yeah. Uh, our governor claims this will keep OBGYNs and other healthcare professionals in the state because they're leaving in droves because of these lawsuits, these frivolous lawsuits from patients, uh, which there's not clear evidence of at all. Um, and because they're going to uh, go to they're going to go to another state where the same system. Yeah, that exists. leads us into our, our child labor yeah. situation. To the um, the labor bill is being passed this month. Fourteen-year-olds um, working it's in packing to houses. It's a problem. It's, it's a the oddest solution. It would seem out of nowhere to solve a, a workforce problem with uh, teenagers and children. Um, but the conservative party has such a hold in the state. There's a way. The governor's pretty much free to frame this as the solution to uh, Iowa's problems, and uh, and that it's Iowa's public education systems, it's woke state universities that are driving people out of the state. Um, which just doesn't bear out in data or uh, in the experiences of Iowans we talked to. Yeah, I'd also go back to um, the governor's condition of the state speech in 2021, uh, which virtually nobody but me watched because I have to do these things. Uh, And she, in that, she highlighted what she saw as Iowa becoming more attractive. And remember, this is, when Iowa is uh, suffering under COVID, we're doing as little as possible to check its spread. Uh, There was a study done comparing that if Iowa had adopted, this comes out at the end of 2021, if Iowa had adopted the same measures Minnesota did, then two out of every five Iowans who had died from COVID at that point probably would still be alive. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, it's stunning. It was done by the the founding dean of the... uh, College of Public Health here at the University of Iowa. But Reynolds highlights a couple who have uh, started a cafe in a small town in western Iowa, and they moved here from California, which is oppressive in its secularism and, uh, and, and uh, taxation, et cetera, et cetera. And she's building this as they see Iowa as the place to come because we embrace heartland values, which means, of course, uh, white Christian straight values. Uh, and she seemed to be promoting though this couple as the kind of people she and her colleagues, Republican colleagues, want to attract to Iowa and believe will come to Iowa. Now, that hasn't been borne out at all, but they were going to be there. This is the irony. The couple was going to be there as a sort of, you know, the human props at the uh, condition of the state speech, have them stand up, but they couldn't because the husband had COVID and the wife was in the hospital with some other unspecified uh, ailment at the time. But they, Reynolds, and I, I think she, it's hard to tell, but I think she may genuinely believe that if we, you know, move the funding from public schools to private schools, if we crack down on people they see as living a wrong kind of life, that Iowa will become attractive and a, 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 a destination spot for disgruntled real Americans who are fleeing the oppression of, of an <clears throat> Illinois or a Minnesota or a California. Well, Paul, I've never heard that take before, but it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. It really does. I've never heard that take. Um, and – that's not why people move to Iowa. No. 
People, <laughs> people moved to Iowa because the housing costs were relatively, are relatively lower, but mostly because the people are so nice, right? And it used to be yeah. they moved to Iowa because the schools were so great. But we've right. gone from the top three. We're, we're like down in the, what, 40th, 43rd, I think I heard somebody say. I mean, in terms of, of uh, you know, test scores and stuff of that. I mean, it's just, to me, it's appalling how far the state has fallen uh, education-wise. Well, I, I've got uh, a couple, five minutes left here. We should talk about Matt Walsh. Or, yeah, Matt Walsh, who spoke at the University of Iowa. He is a transphobe. And he went to the University of Iowa, the young, you know, freedom, whatever, uh, group at, at Iowa uh, invited him there. And and listen, I'm all in favor of free speech, so I don't, I don't blame, you know, I don't fault Iowa for letting him come and speak. But um, you, were you there at the speech, Emma? I did not attend. I really didn't want to attend his speech yeah. or cover the content of the speech, um, I, though I did uh, take away the important parts. Of it. Um, for example, he had he discussed in his speech, revealed for the first time that he's been making uh, $100,000 a month on YouTube through monetizing his videos, which are exclusively spreading misinformation and mocking in some cases, tearing, classifying literally as evil demons, other people. Uh, he's been making $100,000 a month off of YouTube, but he recently was kicked off because he went a little too far harassing Dylan Mulvaney, that TikToker who did... Uh, a promotion with Bud Light. Um, and I have to say the, the the current, I think everyone's probably heard a little of this Bud Light controversy at this point. It's almost like a reprieve right now, a rest and a breath and a little giggle to watch uh, conservatives focus on something that doesn't have an impact on trans lives. It's obviously so insulting and ridiculous, but it's uh, to hear Matt Walsh advocate for a boycott of uh, Bud Light, that, that, that might be his most famous action but you have to kind of get underneath the layers to um to see just like how truly and i i hate to use these like big words but like it's genocidal language and that it's yeah oh promoted, it is. stochastic terrorist language um and i don't want to just say that which is why in my article i tried to list as many things as i could find that really were not fine but the the things that were on the most damning and unforgivable in in uh Walsh in revealing about Walsh's rhetoric over the years. Give us um, uh, hold on Emma, give us the title of the uh, piece so that um our listeners can go, can go online and find it. Sure. Uh it's littlevillagemag.com again as he said. Um the piece I wrote is titled uh Iowa City receives the nation's leading anti-trans personality with trans affirming chalk, chance, music and disruption. Uh and you know, it, it's hard to take an event uh, like what happened on Wednesday in Iowa City and and narrow it down. And also words used in headlines to describe someone like Matt Walsh are so important. You'll, a lot of local media said just called him a uh, like a trans commentator, a conservative personality. Yes, that's true. Um, Todd Dorman wouldn't have said that. <laughs> to call someone like who isn't a part of a community, has, doesn't have any medical or like any expertise his background is as a talk radio host um, during the Tea Party era. Um, so he's just kind of a more modern evolution of a Rush Limbaugh or even Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson type. Um, and this air of prestige you give him when you just call him a commentator or, or like 
even going as far as to call him an expert on trans issues as some more like favorable towards him, people would say, um, that's kind of the absurdity that I think Iowa City noticed about this figure and that they tried to bring out. There was definitely a lot of outrage in town um, that someone like this could come to campus with the veneer of being a, um, a valid voice in a discussion over whether trans people should be allowed to exist in Iowa, which really is his uh, right. his issue. His, um, and uh, I, which is an outrage. It's, it's infuriating and insulting. Um, so his, his tweet before um, he arrived in Iowa city on Tuesday night was that he'll be speaking at the university of Iowa and he's confident he'll be warmly welcomed with smiles and good cheer from students on campus, which is obviously setting us up to see, Oh, when they are mad and they protest, they look silly. They hate free speech. Um, they just won't listen to this guy who's just trying to have a debate. Um, he's not owed that. And I, I, he knows it. <laughs> so um, I think the emotion shown by people in Iowa City was correct. But there was also um, a sense of let's let's hold a sign that says, you know, Matt Walsh, we want your liver. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Matt, like, get out of here. Like, Iowa City's not for pedos. <laughs> you know, like, it's... <laughs> It's a weird sort of imitation of like a MAGA protest um, and setting him up as the figure he is, which is a Trumpian kind of figure masquerading as an intellectual, uh, a professor almost on trans issues. Um, and so he had his film screening, about 150 people attended that, um, which was the maximum amount of seats in the theater. Oh, um, okay. The Daily Iowa reported about 200 protesters. Uh, I would say there's more than that. Um, I was there. I got there around five o'clock and I left around six, uh, which was before all the action took place. Um, and I am extremely grateful for the activists and the journalists in Iowa City who documented the evening, uh, which included probably if anyone's heard anything about um, his visit in Iowa City, uh, it might be that uh, folks uh chalked all over the ground messages to Matt Walsh. Uh, some even scattered marbles on the exit, on one of the exits um, to the IMU so that it would divert um, the attendees and even Matt Walsh himself, ideally out an exit where protesters were demonstrating just so they'd have to hear the message. Yep. Um, obviously they- there's debate about whether these tactics are safe and fair, but that's part of the, you know, the, the, I think the the uh, the silliness of dumping uh, marbles and the um, the viral you know potential of that kind of thing I think was the point. Well, Emma, you know, and of course they had people from the Iowa marching band there playing music. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Well, listen, um, I have we've we're out of time. I I have so enjoyed talking to the two of you. It's been incredibly enlightening. And, uh, you know, a year from now, let's get back together again and see what's happened in the state. Um, hopefully, well, I, I don't know how much worse it can get, but I'm anticipating like that question that I was asked that it may get much worse um, for my community and for anybody who's not, you know, within that mold that Paul talked about. But, but I want to tell you in going, thank you. Thank you for what you're writing. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for keeping your pulse on things. I, I am just so incredibly grateful that you exist. 
Um, again, listeners, it's Little Village Magazine. You can go to their website at Little Village Mag, okay, and check them out. Become a subscriber. Donate to them. And uh, Emma McClatchy and Paul Brennan, I just want to say thank you for being on Ellie 2.0 Radio. It's been a pleasure, I really, for me to talk to you. And I just miss, I miss my fellow Iowans. I really do. Hopefully it'll, it'll get back to something you remember soon. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of people um, that you love and remember here who are still fighting for it. So thank you. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, both of you. Go and have a great day. Okay? All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That was Emma McClatchy and Paul Brennan from Little Village Magazine. Go online. Go find that magazine. Go become a subscriber. It is it, it is for such a small publication. It really does some incredible work. Okay? All right. Uh, we got to go take a break, uh, and then we come back. We're going to do my C-block where I'm going to talk about um, – uh, about that question that I got asked in Des Moines. Okay? All right. We'll be back in a sec. Thanks. Uh, boy, I hope you liked uh, that uh, interview with Paul and Emma from Little Village. I sure did. And that take that Paul, like Iowa wants to be, you know, is going to be the magnet for conservatives to move to. I, I, <laughs> he may very well may be right. And what a dumb, dumb thing if that's the goal of the governor. Jeez. All right. Well, listen, C Block, I have not much time, literally almost no time. And I just want to go back to that question. I was asked in Des Moines, you know, what, you know, Ellie, you know, what would you tell the parents of a trans kid, you know, about the question about whether to move, leave Iowa? I mean, uproot, can you imagine? Family's uprooting, you leave your friends, you leave your family, you have to go start all over again. I mean, this is not easy stuff, of course. Um, and my response back was, well, you got to think about how bad it is and then think about how much worse it will get. And I've got to tell you, as I was preparing for this show, as I kicked that question around in my head, I thought about one thing in particular. The Jews in Nazi Germany in the mid-1930s. Because I, can be, I am absolutely certain that ten, hundreds of thousands of Jews, now remember that I think there were three million Jews in, in Germany. Maybe it was six. I mean, there were a lot of Jews in Germany when... Hitler came to power, and I am absolutely positive they were, they were asking themselves that very question, should I leave, and trying to figure out how much worse it would get. Some people, you know, made the decision and they, they left, and then Hitler blocked the doors, and, and people who wanted to leave couldn't leave, um, and of course, they suffered a horrible fate. <sighs> I got to go. Uh, that's all I can say about that. All right. Big thanks to my producer, Patrick. Um, I'll be back next week. Got more. We'll have more guests. Um, I hope you like this show. I'm sorry the C block got cut off like that, but did I really even need to say anything more about how this country is right now for trans people? Okay. Um, listen, 
Tell folks about the show. Listen to it on podcast. Send the link. And between now and when you hear my voice next, go out and do something to make the world better. Okay? All right. I'll be back. See you next week. Bye.